Hello everyone, happy 2023. Welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. It is the first episode of the main show of the new year, Janine, and we wanted to start it pretty big. We wanted a nice big name to start off this year on the main show, on It's a Wonderful Podcast. And I think we have succeeded in choosing a movie for this week's show that uh, fits that bill quite nicely. But we hope you are having a wonderful start to the new year. And we hope you enjoy listening to this show that we have in store today. Because, Janine, what have we got in store? We are talking Ace in the Hole. <laughs> yes, nineteen fifty-one. Billy Wilder. Yes. Kirk Douglas Kirk and Douglas. Mm-hmm. the lead role. We like Kirk Douglas on It's a Wonderful Podcast. It has to be said, he uh, he, he seems to pop up pretty frequently yeah, these lately days. It or... feels like, yeah, seemingly. Um. But that's not a bad thing, is it? That's certainly not a bad thing. Kirk Douglas is a wonderful actor. And I think this bold statement to start off the episode before we get into any discussion, Janine, this this might be the best Kirk Douglas performance I think I've seen. This is this is on a little bit of another level to the, the other stuff. I mean, he's great in something like Paths of Glory, and I haven't seen that movie in a long many years. Um, Spartacus is obviously kind of Spartacus, but yeah, out of there's the past, more going on in pretty, Spartacus. He was pretty kind of straight. You know, he was. He was very good. Yes. He was very good in Out of the Past, but I obviously mean, he, that's a little bit of an earlier role. Yes, I mean he definitely warrants the consideration of creating a, a Chin Dimple Hall of Fame. Um, you know, well, he, there'd only be like two people in it, though. <laughs> He would be in it. It would just be him every time. <laughs> Does Mitchum have one? I feel like Robert yes, Mitchum has a chin yes, dimple. Yeah, that's I just two it... people. <laughs> well, that's what I'm Nobody saying. Else. It's, it's so good. Like, we could just create it just for him. <laughs> just for all all Kirk Douglas roles. Yes. And just have still images from every single movie where exactly. his chin Fabulous. dimple is in particular, particularly good light. Yes. <laughs> In that, in in whatever movie it may be, but yes, we are talking about Ace in the Hole today. This is Billy Wilder. This is Billy Wilder at his dark greatness, because you know some people tend to think Billy Wilder. You go some like it hot in the apartment, and you think, oh, light movies, light rom commy movies. The apartment's got a little bit of darkness to it. Some like it hot's not really even though it, it's uh you know they're on the run from a murder or from the you know from from like a gang murder aren't they at the beginning um that's why jack lemon and tony curtis are actually es- trying to escape and, and, and dress up and all that business but billy wilder really excels when he is at his darkest and i think billy wilder should be remembered for being a very hard-hitting uh, dark director more so than a, a kind of next generation of Lubitsch that people often think he is, where he's just kind of good rom-com after good rom-com. Yeah, he's I mean, not, he's he, not that. He definitely runs the gamut, but people, yeah, do kind of see the light stuff 
uh, before Seven they kind of think Eight, of the darker thing. Yes, I mean, you know, I always find a reason to bring up witness for the prosecution. Witness for Very the prosecution. Film, um, you know, wrote Sunset Boulevard. So, you know, very much somebody who can can uh you know dip toes into dark dark elements and 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 darker themes so uh he definitely should be be credited for that well we 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 only talked about it a couple of weeks ago because we were comparing a little bit to a movie we covered remember the night double indemnity very dark movie really yeah. wilder. Mm-hmm. the year after double indemnity you get the lost weekend which Granted, okay, is a movie I've actually never seen and really want to, but that's obviously the revered as the darkest depiction of alcoholism you can possibly get in a movie. It's supposed to be brilliant, Ray Land in The Lost Weekend. Really dark. Yeah. You go, you go five years later to Sunset Boulevard, really dark, one of my very favourite oh, movies. Yes, yes. Incredibly dark. And then a year later you get this movie that we're talking about today, you get Ace in the Hole, which feels so ahead of its time. It feels so very prescient and modern and speaks to the the, the media circus, the kind of mob media mentality of today. And is it and worth, what, what is that know, worth to get this story? What is all, what is, yes. You know, yeah. It just lets you know that that kind of mentality is not just present in today's media just because we all see it just because it's all very public now uh, you know every aspect of every media story is very very public of course yeah that's not just the case now that was yeah. definitely the case back in the early 50s and before then, since the dawn of newspapers, really, this has been the case, which was obviously a very long time ago. Yes, but I mean, just because the form of how news kind of gets out has changed doesn't mean kind of the the uh, seeming importance of kind of the scandalous nature of news. You yeah, know, the, and the obsession of... Yes, the, the obsession, obsession of, of, those... of, of, uh, of the spectacle... Um, yes. you know, we had Jordan Peele make a whole movie about the concept of spectacle um, and kind of what you can get out of something, you know, that, that is potentially tragic, you know. Yeah. So, you know, that exploiting concept, it. Yes. That that exploitative concept has not changed in terms of 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 sharing news and information. So what a what a what a fascinating thought, actually. To to compare ace in the hole to something like nope because yeah. when you think about it, it they're both very rural movies well I, I i could not not think of of nope when watching this film um we'll get into it for sure but there was a Ooh, lot of okay, things like happening this. that you know when kind of a circus of sorts kind of comes to town uh you know once we get into the story it definitely felt like you know jupiter and and his whole kind of yeah uh, you know bringing crowds to see you know so evil yeah. evil things happening Stephen Young yes and all yes. this business um yes we I, I want to hear more about this that I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued <laughs> by this yeah. angle now but we do have to do one thing before 
we get into our main discussion. Janine, don't we? What is that? Oh, we have to say a huge thank you to our lovely It's a Wonderful Podcast patrons. Every uh, week on one of our shows, we shout out all our great patrons, thanking them for their wonderful support of us. So, Yes, and if you would like to join us on the It's a Wonderful Podcast patron, there are links in the description of this episode to the patron. Find the tier that is right for you, patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one. There is also a donation link if you would like to support us. That way we can't do what we do without the generous support of our wonderful patrons. We love them all dearly. Janine, would you like to start us off? I would love to. A huge thank you to Marie Zambino. And thank you to Adam Witt. Thank you, Michael Smith. Thank you, Maxwell Haddad. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you to Abby Freel. Thank you, 90s Comics Box, a.k.a. my big brother, Justin. Thank you to Video Drew. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Fanobi Steve. Thank you, Samir Tezfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you, John Mariano. Thank you, Carla Fis. Thank you to The Great Ken Napsok. Thank you to our lovely friends Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. Thank you to Eric Garcia. And thank you to Billy Pollahan. Yes, applause for the patrons. Mm. And it's fair to say, Janine, applause for this movie as well. Yes. Because this is a wonderful, wonderful movie. Like I said, it's a ridiculously evil movie. It's yes. a movie that is, is so bleakly pessimistic about people nobody in this movie is a good person nobody in this movie is remotely a good person well, not maybe even there is, there the is supposed one... victim of the situation well, you know i i i wouldn't there's say elements to him but you what you get is his wife telling you constantly yeah, how much true. she doesn't like him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and all these things that he tries to do that is just not what not she working. yeah not, what she not wants. working for her yes so i and i think that's fascinating i think even in this situation where you do have a a character who is a victim of a disaster really not even he is given much sympathy from the movie from from characters he is that the entire plot revolves around people having sympathy for him strangers but the movie itself paints him paints not even him as entirely good which i just think is is is, is feeds into everything that horrible, we're seeing horribly yeah. wonderful i mean it, it's not a hopeful movie no it's, it's, it's not so far um, away from being a hopeful movie and I have to say, like, I feel like quite a few, like, uh, you know, classic titles, you know, kind of just have a, a, a dramatic name just for drama's sake, particularly like noirs and darker films. You oh, know, noir, noirs, yeah, they, they, they love just <laughs> shocking Slapping, you with titles. Yes, but this one, this title, like, once you kind of see the plot and what's happening, this title is like pitch perfect it's a great title that like tells you everything you need to know about kind of what the story is so. yeah because not only is is the movie about someone trapped in a hole yes and 
this person being Kirk Douglas's ace in the hole, as in his key to a good story. Kirk Douglas himself is considered an ace in the hole because yeah. he's a great newspaper reporter, one of a kind kind of figure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the character-wise and plot-wise, the title fits really, really perfectly. Um, I do, I do enjoy it for that. I've always find, I've always found it interesting, really, that Ace in the Hole was only really rediscovered as a movie in the early two thousands. Like, I think oh. it was lost for decades. Oh, God. And. I think I think it's underseen for that reason, or yeah. not as talked about for that reason. Um, I think it, it has that reputation of being underseen, of being underdiscussed because it, it's only, you know, recently rediscovered, fairly recently rediscovered. Obviously, like twenty years ago, but as far as movies are concerned, that's pretty recent. Which is crazy though, because yeah, you have this big name director, you have this big star, and like I hadn't even heard of this movie. Like even things that like we've covered on the show, most things, even if I've never seen them, I at least have some kind of concept of them, you know. But this, I had no, you know, inkling of this film at all, and I really, you know, it's just one of the things I love about doing this show is kind of stumbling on these things that you know have very familiar people in them or made yeah. by very familiar people and you have no concept of it at all and it's like you know it just plays into the wonderful discovery of this show so well what is this movie about then because i suppose we, we've tried making some points but maybe people don't know entirely what ace in the hole is so basically, it, it's about Kirk Douglas. He's kind of this hard-nosed reporter journalist who, you know, because of personal vices, hasn't really been able to hold out a job. But when he has a hot story, he knows how to work that story uh, better than anyone. So he's very good when he has something to go for. Um, but in the in-between moments, he's pretty sloppy. So, you know, volatile the, as well. Yes. We get the sense that he's kind of bounced from job to job because he has been fired from several kind of journal job journalist jobs because of drinking or, you know, sleeping with the wrong people and, and things like that. So he's now at this very small paper and I believe Albuquerque trying to yes. get a job um, because no one else will have him. So he's trying to sell himself to, you know, this small town uh, um, kind of uh, editor to to hire him as as, um, as a reporter. And I mean, this know, poor can... guy as well. This, this poor wholesome editor in Albuquerque, who has an embroidered poster on the wall of the office saying "Tell the truth," yeah. is just so distant from what Kirk Douglas is as a reporter. Yes. He, this guy, he, this what? editor has so much integrity that he, yes, he's very much nothing like, you know, do whatever you can to get that story. It, it is not his type of vibe at all. <laughs> no, I am, um, I'm kind of doubly interested in, in, in this story, really, because obviously my professional degree is in journalism. That is my, that is what I know in terms of kind of a, a certain professional atmosphere 
Yeah. Rather than kind of my actual job now. Um, this movie to me has, I think, if you want to, if you want to get people into the realm of, of journalism, the realm of reporting, this is the last movie you want them to see. Yeah. Because you would want them to be like the Albuquerque editor, who is just so, so, like you said, so much integrity, so wholesome, so very, very stick to the truth. I don't care if the story's not as good as long as it's real. Yes, I will double, triple fact check if I need to, to make sure everything in here he, is honest. He comes across like a a caricature of good. I suppose he is really the one painted good, good character <laughs> yes. in the movie. Yeah. Um, but then obviously we, we're following Kirk Douglas for the entire movie, who is spinning everything, who is fabricating everything. Well, not fabricating, but he's manipulating, manipulating a particular exaggerating, situation. working the system in, at every turn. Um, so yes, when he does get this story of a man who's trapped in these these caves, these mining caves, um, he decides to kind of milk that story for all it's worth, tries to get everybody to kind of rally around this, make big news of this man trapped down here and like make his rescue and his rescue effort be the, be the kind of crux of this big story. Um, and so that's yeah. where the kind of the spectacle aspect comes in where, you know, people from far and wide come to see this man and, and support him and rally behind him and then see him get rescued. And, and then that's kind of also where the, um, any, you know, stitch of morality that Kirk Douglas had, you know, is just stripped away just for the, you know, need to keep the interest in this going. So that's yeah, kind it's, of where it's, the story takes us. His entire mentality is do anything for the story. Doesn't yeah. matter. People don't matter. And unfortunately, in the the admittedly small amount of experience I, I do actually have in, in that kind of professional atmosphere, that is the mentality of, I mean, maybe not to this extreme, but that is the mentality of a lot of people in that particular profession. Is yeah. is the can we, can we make the story a little bit, little bit have a little bit more? Needs a little bit more. It's all for the story. You're selling the story. Yeah. You're not and selling like, the truth. People no. painted as people painted as selling the truth. People go, oh, we're a newspaper, or oh, we're a media outlet. We tell the truth. Do you goddamn hell tell the truth? You don't tell any of the truth. You tell what you want to tell. You tell what you've created. You're intelligent storytellers. You are not truth tellers. This is the... It, it, it will play with your mind. And it will play with what you believe in. If you have intentions of getting into this kind of world with a certain mindset, that will be... Or a certain positive mindset, that will be stripped down. And you yeah. will be forced to be like Kirk Douglas in this movie. Like I said, not necessarily to the extreme, but 
it's the same realm we're talking about. It's the same world we're talking about. And I just think it would be the worst movie to show people who really wanted to get into journalism and really had a positive outlook on that, who who wanted to do good in, in that like sort of world. Or like this editor who, who believes yeah. truth-telling. Um, yeah. Um, but in that same sense, I actually think it would be the best movie to show these people, as though to say, you don't want to be like this, do you? You don't want to be like this. You might want to be a reporter, but you don't want to be like this guy. Don't be yes. like this guy. Please don't be like this guy. <laughs> yes. Or, you know, find another way to, you know, make your your story be heard because I feel like, you know, the cheap tricks that Kirk Douglas ends up playing in a very time-sensitive situation to drag out the popularity of the story um, it is what kind of holds, you know, this movie together. This is, you know, him turning it into this whole kind of crazy circus is definitely what you don't want to be, but, you know, he doesn't know any other way. So if you yeah. are somebody who kind of wants to get into this, you have to find another way to to best kind of keep whatever you want to get out there uh, in the populace somehow, um, you know, and, and you probably don't want to go about it <laughs> the way that he does. No. No, I feel like Kirk Douglas in this movie is constantly kind of playing with time. Like, he's obviously constantly on deadlines to get his little new bits of the story out. But because the entire situation of, you know, this guy Leo trapped in these mining caves is so time-constrained because he's... You, know, you want to get him out, but as Kirk Douglas manipulates... You want to kind of get him out at the last possible heroic moment. You yes, want to because take that's how it's going to look. That's what's going to keep the interest up. So kind yes. of the most devious thing that he ends up doing in this film is um, the guys working to get him out are like, we can make the cave structurally sound so that we can move the rocks one by one and get him out. So we have to go in there and and build kind of supports in there so that everything will be built up and we'll have to worry about an avalanche and we can easily kind of get the rocks out one by one. It'll yeah. take a couple days. Uh, then Kirk Douglas mentions the idea of drilling down into the cave. And the guy tells him, oh, that's not a good option. It'll take even longer. Um, I don't know what that's going to do to the rocks. I mean, it's doable, but... You know, it's going to take longer. And you know why he wants to do that, though, don't you? Yes. Because people who come to visit can see the drill at the top. Going down, the, see of, this of the brave rescue effort. And it keeps the, the spectacle of the story going on longer than it needed to. So he's yes. keeping Leo in this cave longer than he needs to be in there with this kind of false solution for the show of it for the spectacle of it, for the extension of the popularity of what he's putting out there. Um, and he's putting this man's life, you know, at risk. At you know. serious risk. At, at yes. very, very serious risk. I mean, the scenes between him and Leo, because, I mean, they're, they're heartbreaking scenes. Yes, because Kirk Leo Douglas, has... Several times in this movie... 
will venture into into the cave because he wants to see well he originally does it because he wants to see what the situation is where leo is yes okay he takes a couple of photographs for his for his paper because that's obviously the main thing and at this point in the movie at this at the beginning of the movie when kirk douglas first goes and finds leo into the he, cave leo's actually excited leo's about like really happy yeah, he's like, wow, take my picture. I'm going to be in the paper, like a schlub like me in the paper. That's amazing. And he Have really, some perspective, and, Leo. Yes. And Kirk Douglas is the one and only person who's gone in there to see him, who actually takes time to talk to him. You know, Kirk Douglas is, is giving him these encouraging words. And so he immediately feels like Kirk Douglas has his best interests at heart. This is his friend. He's calling him his only friend at this moment. And and he's endearing himself to Kirk Douglas. So, you know, as things kind of escalate, as you see all these things Kirk Douglas is doing on the outside, and then you see how Leo feels about him on the inside, it's completely heartbreaking. It is because, but it, this is because Leo, obviously trapped in the cave, has no other person who speaks to him, has, has absolutely no clue as to what's going on. Yeah, there's Kirk just a doctor kind of brings who goes him... in there. Yeah. Brings him food. There is a doctor who brings him cigarettes. A doctor goes in there and checks on his like you know health status. His legs are trapped, so you know they go and check on him. But yeah, other than that, anybody in there gets the paper. Conversation with him. Douglas brings him the paper. But no, nobody else has a conversation with him. He's got one output or or one outside individual. Yes, the anniversary with his wife is coming up. And he's yeah. excited to see her. And, you know, he's like, things haven't been good. But, you know, I'm hoping if I get to see her for her anniversary, I got her this gift. It'll be a fresh start for us. And that's like all he can think about is seeing his wife. And then you go out on the outside and she's miserable and she doesn't want to be there. And she kind of hates him. And he has her stuck there, you know, running this like diner um, that they have a trading post almost isn't yes. it it's, it's like and, a... and she hates it and she doesn't want to be there she's all ready to leave but that doesn't play into kirk douglas's story about the grieving wife who who, who yeah. you know is so sad about her husband and has to run this business all alone and you know and this is what he's written about her so you know the things he has to do to convince her to stay she's packed up and ready to go and just leave, abandon her husband in this cave, but that doesn't play into his story. So he goes to some lengths to keep her there. And, and she is even kind of interested in Kirk Douglas. And he, you know, puts that even aside for the importance of, of kind of keeping up appearances with this story. This is the even sadder thing about Leo, is that I just think like, yes, like I said before, even he as the victim is not entirely painted as as good because of what his wife tells us about him and he's kind of he's not very nice to her he he sometimes tries but he's a bit kind of he 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 doesn't he doesn't listen to her you know he doesn't kind of trapped there understand her yeah yeah she, she like exactly. She feels trapped there. Very similar. Everybody's trapped in some sort of situation in this movie. You know, Jan Sterling, who plays who plays Leo's wife, trapped in in the marriage. Leo's trapped in the cave. 
Kirk Douglas is trapped in Albuquerque, small town. What's it called? The Albuquerque Star or something, the newspaper. Yeah. He's trapped there and he doesn't want to be there because he's constantly on the phone to New York trying to get his old job back where he slept with the boss's wife. (laughs) What's that, man? And this guy as well. (laughs) Can we take one second, please, (laughs) to talk about this person? He has maybe like three different scenes where he has a couple of lines and he's like, this is my time to shine. So he's just really going overboard. Play uh, uh, uptight, stodgy, all about business, New York, uh, you know, chief editor of a newspaper, of a big newspaper. So he he's like, okay, I can do it. How dare you? He's just very much animated and, and like... <laughs> he's like... almost cartoonish anger kind of like it, it, it's it is a, a little very, bit it's a very, I mean, it's he, very it was very comical to me how he was kind of portraying this new york editor guy yeah <laughs> it's not like it's not like this guy's performance takes you out of the movie because it, no. it fits into the world of these uptight or, or not uptight uh, highly strung newspaper people. It fits yes. into that world perfectly. But the way Kirk Douglas plays this kind of thing is obviously in typical snarling Kirk Douglas fashion. I think the only time he actually doesn't snarl in this, I mean, no one snarls like Kirk Douglas, by the no, way. Nobody, nobody has ever snarled snarl, like Kirk yeah. Douglas. But the only time he doesn't snarl is when he actually goes and has these conversations in the cave with Leo. And he's yeah. kind of. He opens up a little bit. He, 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 you can see he might actually have a shred of heart in him oh, when yeah. he speaks to Leo. He, he might. He's not necessarily. But well, he I mean, might. those last, those last interactions are, I think, what really get to him. You know, that's what kind of, you know, there's a turn at a certain point in the film, and I think the last few conversations he has with Leo are are definitely what kind of turn his 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 eyes onto himself and, 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 and gives him kind of that little too little, too late reflective moment. Yeah. So, so there is some care there, I, I think for sure. A, a shred, a shred, a, well, a slim sliver. So, so, um, you know, Leo is, is talking about his wife and, and, you know, they kind of got word that, you know, the guy who's doing the drilling, like it, it's probably not going to work and we're not going to make it to him. Um, and, and things aren't looking good. And so he goes and he has this last talk with Leo and he, Leo's telling him, oh, you know, just keep drilling. Get me out of here. It's my anniversary. I can still make it. There's a gift. I hid it in such and such place. And, and you know, I'm going to give it to her and I want to see the look on her face when, when you know, she opens it. She's going to look like a million bucks when she puts it on. And immediately after having this conversation, Kirk Douglas goes and gets the present and gives it to her and forces her to wear it because he knows Leo's probably not going to make it out of here. It's wholly my fault. This is what he wants. I need to make this happen. Even if he can't see it, I need to make it happen so that I can go tell him that she got this gift that he was so excited to give her you know, to to try to make up for what I've done in some small way. So I think th- that shows me that, you know, I mean, it could be mostly out of guilt. 
but he's I entirely also... out of guilt. I mean, he tries to give himself a, a a shot at redemption, but he's gone so far past the point of being able to in terms of his manipulation of the situation. Because when eventually Leo is, I think, I think the doctor diagnoses him with pneumonia. At this point, I mean, you've got to think as well, he's been inhaling all this stone dust and rock dust for yeah. for five, oh. six days at this point. Yeah, yeah. That y- you, you know, he's going to be messed up internally in his lungs and all this kind of stuff. And after that diagnosis, it's not like, it's not a redemption arc. Because no, somebody like somebody that. like Kirk Douglas in this movie doesn't would not deserve a redemption. Like, yes, it's too like, horrible what he has and, done. And I, I'm glad they don't didn't play it that way. They could have easily played it into that. Um, but the fact that it feels like it is coming out of mostly guilt. But I do feel like you know that guilt wouldn't have come without him feeling some kind of something for Leo in the first place. No, um, no, it wouldn't. So, it wouldn't. So, so I do feel like at least on some degree he does care about this person, and I think he always kept maybe kept telling himself that you know I can prolong this, I can stretch this out because he's going to be fine. He's going to get out. It's going to be fine. Uh, the job's and, ruined him. The the yeah. the fact that the job has ruined him because he 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 has the newspaper man mentality of get the story no matter what. That's ruined his humanity. That has has cut down on his actual human emotions that yes. he puts in the back burner now because that's that's not the focus of his so mind. So he, he, yeah, he can just uh, put that assumption out there that oh yeah, he'll be fine. I don't need to worry about that aspect of it. You know, I've set it up perfectly where yeah, he's he's probably going to be fine. The story's doing great. That's where my focus is. And also he kind of gets this bump and drive of competition as well, because then you've got all the big city New York reporters who he's worked with, who know him now coming out to get this scoop. But he's the one running this whole show, running this whole operation and behind this whole story. So he's leaving all of them in the dust and, 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 you know, he, he's now getting more and more kind of cocky too as well. Um, by how well things are he going does. for him at a certain point. Uh, so yeah, he's think, definitely not thinking about Leo's well-being because he's just like, yeah, he'll be fine, but the story is doing great. So yeah, th- we have all these other news people kind of coming in to really drive his competitive spirit even more and, and, and his ego even more. I think this is another great thing about what Kirk Douglas does a lot of the time is he's able to just play disgustingly arrogant yes (laughs) like to the point of just uncomfortableness where you just feel oh god he's so full of himself like kirk douglas the person never comes across like that if you watch kirk douglas in interviews and this kind of stuff he he seems like a just a lovely person charming person um and obviously he he lived so long that I think his last interview was only about five years ago or something yeah. like that. Yes. Um, when he was like a hundred, I think. When, when think, he turned a yeah. hundred, mm-hmm. I think he had an interview. Yeah. And even then, after all the troubles he'd gone through, I think, you know, he, he'd had two strokes and a helicopter crash and all this kind of all stuff. All kinds of crazy stuff, through, yeah. still able to, to come across as a hundred-year-old who had very difficult trouble speaking 
as still quite a, a a sweet individual and certainly in in older interviews he comes across as a a very pleasant guy but he's able to play just disgusting people really quite really well. well and it puts the viewer in this really kind of uncomfortable almost position of kind of you know wishing for his downfall because he deserves it but that downfall comes at the loss of a life that like didn't need to be lost so then you're kind of just like feeling all kinds of weird things because yeah you want to kind of see kirk douglas fail for all the kind of terrible things he's done to get this story as big as it is and see his kind of cockiness and ego take over. But you don't want to see this guy die, especially since, you know, Kirk Douglas has kind of turned it into this big kind of media circus. He, you know, one set of tourists have come through and, you know, he kind of sells the story to them and then more people come and more people come. And now it's, it's very much like, um, you know, like nope in terms of kind of everyone going to jupiter's kind of big spectacle and you have this whole field outside of this cave of people and bands and carnivals and and all kinds of things uh you know there to to see this man to see this rescue to support him to to help in the effort to to be on the news and say i was the first you know person here to see the man in the cave and and it turns into this whole big circus. Well, the and phrase you... media circus has never been more appropriate because I think yes. at one point an actual circus does turn up. Yes, and, and vendors and food people and all of these things have shown up now to, to be a part of this big story, all because of kind of everything Kirk Douglas has, has done. And he's kind of the face of the, the rescue operation. Um, he's working with this corrupt sheriff you know, to help him kind of get yeah. another, get another sheriff term, uh, you know, to kind of seemingly be kind of a big asset to this rescue operation as well. So everyone kind of is looking to Kirk Douglas to, because, you know, he's kind of in charge of everything. So yeah, it yeah, definitely it, it, puts the, you... The story, the story of Leo doesn't just entail Leo, as far as, you know, Kirk Douglas always... We keep calling him Kirk Douglas. Is his name Chuck Tatum in the movie? Yes, I think yes. that's his character's name. Um, obviously, Tatum's story doesn't just concern Leo. It has subplots. Yeah. Because the, the subplots of his story is this idea of the heroic sheriff who would do anything for anybody. Please re-elect him. But he's really shady, this sheriff guy. He's he has so like a rattlesnake he keeps in a box as a pet. Um, and, and the father. The other subplot. The father. The father as well, who's desperate to get his son out. And, you know, but he's also kind of playing into the boom that's come to, you know, the business of his land and, and people showing yeah. up and people going to the trading post. And the wife, he's written her as this doting wife who goes to church with her rosary and prays for her husband and all of these things when she's basically trying to sleep with Tatum and and essentially leave her husband at a certain point when she makes enough money. Um, so everybody... Yeah, she, she's, she's actually really happy but all of these people are coming in because it's bringing them so much business to her little trading post diner 
location. Yeah. That she so, doesn't care one little bit that Leo was exactly. in the cave. Yes. So, you know, his spectacle that he's created has also kind of brought out the kind of awful uh, greedy natures of the father who seemingly was like all about getting his son back. But once he was seeing kind of the money he could make, that kind of becomes his focus and the wife as well. She was ready to kind of pack her bags and leave. And then he's kind of selling her the story of, um, you know, people, you know, this, this doting wife. And then he's selling to her on kind of a more personal level that, well, you know, people are coming through here. Your business is going to be booming. And he knows that she kind of is attracted to him. So then he's writing about her in the paper, how beautiful she is. And she's reading this and is reading into, oh, okay, he must want me. So that's another reason he's kind of manipulating her to get her to stay and play this role that he needs her to play for his big story. So, you know, all of these avenues of just manipulating people and plays into kind of what you were saying about everyone basically being terrible, um, and and everything he does just feeds into that and like plays into this kind of big crazy media thing that yes like like i said before it definitely makes you root for his downfall but then you kind of feel some kind of way about it because it's at the expense of this man dying you know so so yeah and very much this tug that happens you know when you get to those hard moments um, I, I think, kind of wanting yeah. him to fail but you know what failure is going to come with and I think when when you know with what happens with Leo it's it is very it is it's very very hard hitting you know towards the end of this movie and I think Kirk Douglas is is you know mental downfall in the movie is it's justified, absolutely justified. You expect it to come because someone like that has to get some sort of comeuppance, as you like to yeah. uh, refer yeah. to it as. But I wasn't necessarily expecting it to happen, uh, or expecting it to happen in such a fatal way. Should well, we say? Yes, yes. Well, just leading up to that, we touched on kind of, you know, that last conversation with Leo. All Leo can think about is getting out and seeing his wife. It's their anniversary. He's telling Kirk Douglas where he hid this gift for her. Um, and kind can of. Can I just when... ask a question about this gift? Like, were you expecting like a really nice dress? Because yes. that's what I was expecting. That's what I, I wasn't was expecting. expecting as well this horrendous thing that he really does yes so so kind of when he's kind of from this conversation he's getting this inkling that yeah lee i don't think he's brought the doctor to him yet um but he he's kind of already under the impression that leo is probably not going to make it he doesn't look great he's kind of delirious and so that's when the guilt kind of starts setting in i think for him and you know i think the guy does tell him that the drill is not really going to get there in time so he 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 knows so now this guilt is driving him so he go runs back he finds the gift he gives it to her he tells her you know this is what he wanted you to have for your anniversary he got this for you put it on wear it wear it and it's also kind of him also still trying to sell the story as well um yeah. And and she's like, no, this is ugly. I'm not going to wear this. I don't want anything from him. And it turns into this big kind of 
physical altercation between the two yeah, of them. Yeah, it's a really horrible where he scene. Ends up he nearly strangles her. her. He, he ends up strangling her because, you know, it, it's very much projection. Him feeling this guilt for what he's done to this man and seeing her kind of, you know, and he, but he won't admit to himself that he has done this man wrong, right? That this is his fault. So he can project that on her who's outright and openly saying terrible things about this man who's trapped in this cave. So he can take all of the pain and guilt of what he's done to this man, you know, who, who is telling him in his last breaths that, that Kirk Douglas is his only friend. Um, and he can project that on her who's openly hating this poor man in this cave. And he can take that out on her. So he starts strangling her to the point where she has to like stab him <laughs> to, to yeah. stop him. But she's very, you know, very he dark then, moment, yeah. And he then, you know, he's clutching his gut for the rest of the ten minutes of the movie that's left after that, or, or however long it is. Um, although I did want to just bring bring this up a little bit. I think although it's obviously Kirk Douglas's movie front and center, and he's the movie is entirely his, and he's outstanding in it. I think Jan Sterling does a phenomenal oh, yeah. job. As Leo's wife, I think she is wonderful as just the the trapped figure, the the you know the dark in her own right, but someone you also sympathise with because this isn't the situation she ever wanted to be, and she's been forced into it. And you can actually understand why she does not care that her husband's being trapped in the cave and dying. She does yeah. not care. No. But you can understand that, and the fact you can understand that it speaks a lot to the quality of her performance, I think. Yeah. I did also want to mention a, a little bit, I suppose, of what I was talking about before in the sense of this movie being really uh, either either the worst movie possible to show someone who wants to get into this line of work or the best movie to show them as though to say, lesson, please don't yeah. be like this. <laughs> yeah, a disclaimer. Is... The uh, the photographer kid, who's clearly just a young kid, who has, you know, the, the Albuquerque Star editor's wholesomeness and integrity and just wants to kind of get into this world to take some nice pictures, maybe get a big move somewhere. He, he, he doesn't, you know, he's not a manipulator. He's not, a, he's yes. not an evil person. No, but when he sees kind of but, the fast-paced inner workings of, of Kirk Douglas, of, of Chuck Tatum, he, he aspires to that now. He does. And this is, this is what I was getting at, because this is the dangerous thing. You don't want to be like this guy. You, want to be, you don't want to be like this guy looking up to Kirk Douglas, and I think it's very easy to... Because there's a romanticism about that kind wow. of storytelling, about that kind of real dedication. Because you, you, if there's one thing Kirk Douglas is in this movie, it's phenomenally dedicated to yeah. what he's trying to do. Yeah. But you don't want to be like this guy. I think he's played by, um, I forget. Oh, I forget now his name. Like, um, unless I'm thinking of a completely different movie uh, that I've watched recently, Bob Arthur. Robert, yeah, Robert Arthur. Yeah. Um, so this guy is like, he's really wide-eyed. He's very, very easily swayed. And you could also look at it from the sense of 
if you see yourself in Bob Arthur's photography, photographer character, then please don't be as easily swayed by obviously terrible people like Kirk Douglas. Yeah. Please have a little bit of sense. Yeah, um, but then and you feel like it the... does grow to that at the end. You do. Well, yes, because I mean, the at a certain point, you know, the Albuquerque tell the truth editor comes out there to see what's going on with the story and, and sees kind of what Kirk Douglas, the mess he's kind of made of this. And, you know, tells him, you know, this is not what I want. You, you know, he tells the kid, like, come back with me. And the kid's like, no, I want to stay with Chuck Tatum. You know, he's great. And I'm going to work with him now. And like, um, No, he's no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and kind of once Kirk Douglas has kind of seen how utterly, like, terrible he's kind of just messed up the situation. He does tell the kid, just go. Maybe it's better off yeah. than you go, go back. Yeah. Um and and it's that realization kind of, of I, yeah. I'm a bad man who does bad he, things. Yes, so do not be like me. And that's where he kind of ends his story as well. You know, he goes yeah. back to this place where he knows they tell the truth and he finally tells the truth. Um Yeah. He does. But it's ironic really because nobody then listens to him when he tells the truth. You know, when he tries to phone them up and says, yeah. I'll give you the real story. The real story. Yeah, he called I killed. I killed I this killed man. Leo. You know, could have gotten out days earlier, but I extended this out and you know and pushed the length of you know what, this rescue to the point where it was too late, and it's all my fault. And like the the the, the news the news New York guy does not want to hear him, and he's completely like drunk at this point. So he goes back to that Albuquerque office, the office that has written on their walls tells you know the truth, and he's shouts it to them and, and, and you know this heartbreaking scene where he's finally kind of realized what he's done and he needs to kind of have somebody hear him and, and he wants to make this truth the story you know yeah the big story and so he's admitting everything he's done and then he falls to the floor and that's... Dead of his stab wound from <laughs> yes, slightly earlier. Yes, and that's kind of where <laughs> our story ends. It's it's, it's so, so dark. It, it's bleak. It's a bleak, yeah. bleak movie. But it's not one of those movies. It, it's a very exciting movie. Yeah, you know, oftentimes bleak movies can be dull affairs. Can be kind of monotonous. They can be tough to get through. This is a ridiculously easy movie to watch. Yes, and they could have played into this big kind of redemptive thing, but it, it works so much better if you don't. If you see him out of guilt realizing this, out of kind of hurt for, you know, this man's last words telling you that you're, you know, using his last breaths to tell you that you're his one and only friend, you know, and that kind of being this crazy trigger for him. But it's yeah. too late. It's too little too late. Um, and then he kind of meets his end kind of deservedly after everything he's done he and everything he's yeah. put these people through. Um, it, it, yeah, they I'm, they definitely couldn't have gone for a redemption type of thing. Um, but this guilt-ridden think Billy Wilder would have wanted to do that, though, because no. I think I think what makes Billy Wilder 
make great dark movies like this is what I think would draw people to watching something like Ace in the Hole. If you have no kind of no false beliefs about the 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 darkness and the evilness that humanity is capable of, yeah. I think this movie is just a great movie to watch. Because if you have if if you believe every everyone is entirely good and, and you know is not able to do nasty things, then this is really going to affect you. But if you f- are fully aware of of just how depraved some people can be, this solidifies that mentality. Yeah. And I think I think Billy Wilder's kind of inherently got that. And I think it comes from his his background. I think Billy Wilder had had, um, family that died during the Holocaust, that died in concentration camps. Billy Wilder was a European, I think an Austrian Jew who who fled um, at that particular time in in the early 20th century. But I'm, I'm fairly certain he had family that died actually in Auschwitz, which is... If anybody, if any big name Hollywood director is going to know how depraved human beings can be at this particular yeah. time in history, this is why Billy Wilder makes great dark movies because he is fully aware of how horrible humanity can yeah. be to each other. Yeah. So I think I think that there's a lot of that that's put into something like this, that's put into, you know, I, I think more so something like this because it's it's deeply manipulative um but i mean as 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 beautiful as something like sunset boulevard is you forget sometimes how manipulative william holden is in that movie actually to to you know norma desmond's mental state he's very very it's quite similar really although I, i do think there's more reservedness that there's there's more guilt with yeah. William Holden I think than there is with the snarling tiger that is Kirk Douglas <laughs> and something like Ace in the Hole which is probably again why I think this movie isn't historically the huge huge name Billy Wilder movie that it I think it deserves to be because it's probably a little bit heavy for American audiences in 1951. Yeah. Who are just, who are trying for hopefulness and are being reminded by the one of the biggest and best names in Hollywood directed at this point of, no, 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 yeah, don't you dare forget how bad people are. <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare forget. Look at this. And this is what I said before about it being so prescient and modern feeling as well because this exact kind of media mob mentality is is still very much the case yeah um but we did mention before and i want to end on this you 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 have been talking about spectacle throughout this entire episode (laughs) you wanted to have a little bit of comparison to this movie to nope and in in my mind it comes from the very rural setting and the very kind of the obsession that they both do have with spectacle and how far you will go to create spectacle to the point of danger 
Yes. I mean, in Nope, you have this ranch that's not really doing well and, um, you know, they need business and they're failing. And, uh, you know, this thing happens where, you know, it ends up killing their father and, you know, people are disappearing and horses are disappearing and, um, but they can use it to their advantage. They can sell this spectacle. So they spend all this time trying to capture it, you know, capture images of it, despite how dangerous it is, despite how provoking that is, like poking this beast, poking this bear. Um, But because they can gain something from it, uh, you know, they you know fall into that trap of 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 kind of the spectacle rather than kind of the moral aspect of what's right and what's wrong and then jupiter definitely plays heavily into that you know selling merchandise and having people come out and and trying to control this thing um that is inherently uncontrollable um so yeah i definitely the setting the motivations of these characters the kind of circus of of kind of profiting off of 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 something dangerous uh definitely kind of had me really feeling some similar aspects uh uh, to note from this movie just kind of the the big scenes of all the people out there you know outside the cave and and you know selling toys and bands making songs about leo and you know, selling merchandise and paying to get in even just to go see the cave and, you know, just the, the, the mass of people that were out there, you know, from nothing that we had seen earlier in the film uh, just really had me kind of thinking about no in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think what's even doubly fascinating about Stephen Union Nope is he's not only, uh, you know, playing on, you know, over the course of the movie, he plays on the alien whatever it is doesn't he because oh come and see this big thing look at it it's you know we're gonna draw it out yeah and it's gonna be entertaining but his entire life is based on a horif- horrific yes profiting that off happened of it. on a tv show yeah his entire world his entire why people come and see him you know, his secret little museum that he has. I forget what the monkey's name was. I forget what that show's name was. Oh, yeah. Where the monkey killed everyone. Mm-hmm. But his entire life is built around horrific spectacle. Yeah. And he's going to inherently be obsessed by that. I think Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, their obsession with spectacle is, is, isn't is necessarily... Uh, desired it's not something they look for it's something that happened upon them it's yes. not like and, so now they're going to... and i think that's why those two characters come across as as very very likable people yes they're definitely not doing it from a kind of malicious place but ultimately you know the smarter choice is to kind of leave this thing alone of course but... it is but instead they'd rather kind of you know play into let's get camera footage and let's yeah. sell it and let's hire this mm. photographer to take this picture of it and turn you know, Kaluuya so that, into a western hero at one point and yes it's... so that we can you know make something from this you know and and you know make our little ranch you know something 
big, you know. So yeah. So in that aspect, they definitely do, you know, feel maybe like the father character, you know, who you know inherently cares, but when yes, he sees I that, you know, he can kind of profit from this when he really was had nothing at the time, you know, yeah. why not lean into that a little bit? I think they are they are they are far more similar to him, and I think Stephen Uni's far more similar to Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas, yeah, because. He only has guilt right at the end, or he only has kind of, oh dear, what have I done? Yeah, right at the end. When it's far too and your wife and your children, you know, yes. Yeah. You you could kind of tame this beast. Yeah. You can't. You can't tame aliens in in weird cloud form. Is it? Is it even got a name? That from Nope. Is it? Is, is it they, just the alien from Nope? What's it called? Well, they call it Jean Jacket after kind of that horse. Yes, that after Kiki the Palmer horse. was supposed to. Yeah, so they do call it Jean Jacket, and I think they definitely were looking at jellyfish-like creatures to, to inspire the look of it. The jellyfish so. alien. It yes. does look like a jellyfish. It does. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we. It's a good comparison. Yeah, it's, it's, an, I, it's, a, it's a comparison I didn't even think of. I mean, either, but in, when you in, mentioned in talking it, it about, like, I just, in watching it, I just, those scenes of these open ranch fields and, you know, empty, yeah. desolate, and then this thing happens and it brings out all of these people for these kind of, you know, superficial motivations. And it just, those kinds of ideas definitely had me putting them together in, in interesting ways. So, and I suppose. They're both set in the southwestern U.S. desert, so I mean they're like two states apart, but it's (laughs) the same region-ish, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So that's as close as you're gonna get. Ace in the Hole, though, what a a wonderful movie, a a great way to start the year. On it's a wonderful podcast. I think I think I, I wanted to do a big name movie, a big name director start off with a bang in 2023 and i think we started off with more than a bang i think this is a great movie and a great episode of the main show episode 244 this has been of it's a wonderful podcast the main show janine is there anything else you would like to say about ace in the hole just a a really great surprise of a movie really dark and um a great performance from Kirk Douglas. Really, really enjoyed this movie. Yes, of course, this is not the only show you can find on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed, though, because we do have Morgan Hasn't Seen, where all January long we are celebrating 200 episodes of Morgan Hasn't Seen by uh, doing a bit of reminiscing, aren't we? Doing yeah. a bit of a look back, counting down some of our favourite series in the show's history. And we're doing that all month leading up to the, the final episode uh, of Morgan hasn't of Morgan hasn't seen in January, which will be our two hundredth episode of that particular show. We are not that far away from two hundred and fifty of this show either at all. So there's another big milestone to look forward to on uh, its wonderful podcast itself. We of course also have Monday Madness, which will be returning on monday um after a little bit of a holiday break and we're very very excited to start back up with monday madness again monday wednesday friday 
we have you covered on the It's a Wonderful podcast feed with those three shows. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music, and everywhere else. Janine, we also have the It's a Wonderful podcast YouTube channel, don't we? What is over there? Oh, all kinds of fun things. We have uh, retro trailer reactions. We have our Monday Madness Monday show, Super Chill Kickback show, where we talk about all kinds of fun things. Uh, we have fun reviews from me. You do fun um blu-ray collection videos so all kinds of stuff on the youtube channel to check out yes a subscribe ding the notification bells over there we spoke about the patreon and the donation link before if you would like to support us in that way or of course you can just follow us on social media on twitter at it's a wonderful one for the show i am on twitter at the purple don with a three instead of the e and the because jenny three is the magic number on Instagram at the purple nun. All your horribly manipulative stuff is where. Sorry, that was that was a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't a mean it. Dark there. Yes. Uh, you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows, you can find that uh, at our Teespring shop. Just search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of my art and print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. Well, there we go. Ace in the hole was our ace in the hole yeah. to start 2023. <laughs> we can't wait to see what comes next. I think we know, but we're certainly looking forward to 250 episodes. Yeah. Of it's a wonderful podcast, the main show. That's a quarter of a thousand shows <laughs> of this show, which Crazy. just blows my mind a little bit. Celebrating old movies, showing love to them, discovering new ones. This was a first time watch for me, and it was a first time watch for you as well, Janine. Yes, yes. So this is always something we love doing on this show. I do think there is only one thing left to do. Janine, do you think you could give us a Kirk Douglas snarl? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Not really, but I can try. <coughs> <laughs> 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 Three, <laughs> two, one. Oh, it was snarly. Bye. Bye.